0: Welcome to Family Life Today, presented in cooperation with this station by Power to Change. We hope today's program will give you something to reflect on and to encourage you in your relationships. Our hosts are Dave and Ann Wilson with Bob Lapine.
1: So I'm sitting on the couch with CJ. How old is he? He was nine. You weren't there. I think we're watching TV, probably football. (laughs) <laughs> probably probably uh we still do anyway somehow we get in this discussion about mistakes and mm-hmm. dad mistakes and i say to him i go cj did you know that the bible actually says that the mistakes that a dad makes will go down into his sons and the sons and daughters could possibly make the same mistakes you know sins of the father yes. i didn't yes. use that term but I just that because of that did that scare him I just remember he just looked at me, you know, again, he might have been eight or nine. He just looks at me. I go, C.J., what do you think of that? Oh, I did use the word sin because I then quoted Exodus 20 because it's in the Ten Commandments. A lot of people don't realize it's in the Ten Commandments. It's that important that God said, be careful as a dad because it's going to go into your legacy. And I remember saying the word sin, and C.J., nine years old, I'll never forget this moment, just looks at me. And I go, C.J., what do you think of it? And he goes, Dad, don't sin.
2: And he gets up and walks out of the room.
1: (laughs) You know, just like nonchalant, like, "Of course, don't do it. Because if you're doing it, going to do it, I'm going to do it." But he
2: got it. Like
1: he he got it, and now he's 35. And it's crazy to see that my sons have taken things from me, good and bad. Some Mm. things they never knew I struggle with; they're struggling with. Mm. Let me
2: ask you: as a dad, as a father, and as a man, does that scare you? Oh. The power we
1: have Mm. to influence our sons and daughters is scary. I mean, it's awesome that Mm. God gave us this power, and moms have it too.
2: And I I think that we as moms feel that, and we watch. I remember saying to you, do you understand the power you carry? Because I watched three little boys Mm. watching you Mm. constantly. They didn't watch me. They were watching you, and I said, man, you've got so much power over them. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's also scary for the wife because I can tend to be critical. and like, you should do this and that. But I was almost jealous of the power you carried over our son.
1: Yeah, and the scary thing is you want to have a vision for your son being a better man than you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got John Tyson back with us today who's not only a dad, because you know this from a dad's heart, from yes. a pastor's heart mm-hmm. – And as an author who wrote about this, welcome back to Family Life Today. It's
3: good to be back and enjoying uh, continuing on this conversation. Well, tell
1: us, as you were sitting over there, I saw you smiling a bunch. What were you thinking about this whole conversation about the power of a dad, the
3: sins of the father? I I, I was was just thinking about, like, how have I messed my son up? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm thinking through his life and what he struggles with, and I'm like that's mine, that's from me, that's from his mother, that's from the culture. I'm just like thinking through those things.
1: And you wrote about this in your book, The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. And if you missed yesterday, I'm just telling you, listen and get the book. This book is going to change your life as a dad. But something you said yesterday I wanted to, I wanted to follow up on, this concept called the father wound, mm-hmm. that we have sort of a wound from our dads. Is it universal? Even if you're the best dad in the world, is there a sense that somehow
3: you're not going to be enough for your son? I think you're addressing two things, and they're both true. One thing is, like, will a father always feel inadequate? Like, Mm. in some measure, yes. Yeah. If you realize the sacred power, as you Mm. mentioned, that we have in parenting, you realize we are shaping lives. We are releasing destinies. We're saying throwaway phrases that will either wound or release a kid into the 50 years in the future. I mean, it's, wow. it's an extraordinary sacred power that we have. It's a trust we're given. The downside of that is that like it will be inevitable that we we hurt our kids. It will be inevitable. Psychologists tell us wounds happen in two categories. It's either a lack of protection or a lack of nurture, which means parents don't stop things happening to us that harm us or parents fail to give us the emotional nourishment and connection that we need. Mm. And if you trace brokenness down to the roots of childhood you'll often find it's in those two things it's like like i didn't feel loved enough affirmed enough blessed or my parents didn't put boundaries up and therefore i experienced the harm of the world way too early Mm -hmm. and so i think in some sense we are doing both of those things in some small measure and those are big generic pastoral observations but i think those categories bear themselves true in some sense we're always wounding even with our best intent and normally we either do it in two categories. We either don't nurture like we should or we don't protect like we should. And...
1: Yeah. And one of the reasons I ask is obviously I felt that with an absent father. Mm. But then, you know, as a young father and raising sons and I had a plan mm. and I sort of took them through rites of passage. Mm. And in some sense, as they grew into men, I was thinking, I did a pretty good job. Mm. You know, I, and you I probably
3: did do a pretty good
1: job. Well, here's the thing. It's funny. I, you know, I, I never thought I did a great job, but I was like, man, I did so much better than my dad. And, yeah. you know, they're going to be men and they're going to thank me someday. And then yeah. they, they became men and they sit down and go, dad, there's some things that you did that hurt me. I'm like, what? Yeah. You know, uh, we've had those adult adult yeah. conversations which I think every dad and mom's going to have at some point with your adult kids. Maybe not. But in some sense, I was like, really? Mm. You felt hurt or mm, let mm. down in some way. And of course, I should have
3: expected that. Well, I mean, the, I think the good thing is you've had a healthy enough relationship where they feel like they can bring that to you. Yeah.
1: That's what yeah, I was yeah. going to
2: say. It says a lot about you that they would come and feel safe and that they could say it. I That's just want feel. them
3: to do it with Ann, not me. Yes. <laughs> it may be happening on the side. <laughs> yeah. I know my, my son talks to my wife, Christy, in ways he doesn't talk to me. Yeah. And the older they get, the, when their when the kids get older and they get into it, they'll probably realize, you know, gosh, dad probably did better than we we're aware of. Yeah. I mean
1: overall my my sons have been unbelievably appreciative and affirm affirmative. But let me ask you this. Yes. Because I've never asked a, a fellow pastor who's a dad mm. this question because two of my three sons said I was more intimate in my sermons with the congregation than they felt I was with them as their sons. They they said they'd be sitting there even as teenagers sometime and I'd be sharing something with a thousand people that's very vulnerable and weakness and a struggle or something, mm. and they would turn to each other and go, did you know that? I didn't know that. Look at that. He is bearing his soul to people that he doesn't even know and won't do that or hasn't done that in the family room. I never do this when they are teenagers, but mm. now that they're mm. 30-year-old men, they sat me down and said, Dad, you know, that was hurtful, mm-hmm. and I had no idea. And I'll tell you this, John, the second it came out of their mouth as adult men, I was like, you're a thousand percent right Mm -hmm. there was no defensive it was like i was like "Ooh, have you
3: experienced any of that as a father and as a pastor you'd have to ask my son about that i mean i think i've got the benefit you're probably a a decade older than me hey you don't have to rub it in no i I mean i say it with honor (laughs) i think i'm older than a decade (laughs) yeah i'm 44 okay uh, so how old are you uh Two decades. Okay, gotcha. So there you go. I think I actually. I'm glad you thought I was younger though. Okay. So that's a compliment. I actually inherited, I think, the wisdom of your generation of fatherhood mm-hmm. because I think stuff like that I picked up on that. Yeah. I think it was honestly at pastors' conferences and talks to dads about ministry and family dynamics. It was always, you know, don't share stuff with the congregation that you haven't shared with your family first. And and look, and it's almost not fair as a pastor. You got to come up with a compelling thirty to forty minute talk <laughs> every, every week. week. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're mining for content. Right. You're like, oh, let me go back. I haven't shared about the Texas scenario for <laughs> what. what about Tennessee? Okay, what about my early twenties? You're looking for fresh stuff. Those people are there every week, so yeah. you got to be kind on yourself in some capacity. But I definitely got those family boundaries ask for permission before you share yeah them. yeah make sure you shared it with your family and i think again that may be something that i received as a blessing from an older generation well one of the
1: things i picked up in your book though and you tell me if i'm accurate on this is i as i assessed even that hurt from my sons in my mind it was courage mm. it was easier to be intimate with a thousand because you're really not mm. you appear to be but you're still holding a lot back as a pastor But it takes courage to look Mm -hmm. a 15 year old in the eye and go somewhere intimately, you know, in a conversation. But when I was reading your book, it felt like you have done that
3: with Nate. I, I think I was very in touch with this. I was very in touch with the world is a confusing place. If you're a young man, your body is filled with chemicals. Mm. It's pushing you outward. You've got erotic energy, you know, and you're surrounded by kids binge watching porn on their phones. It's a very confusing place. You're trying to test yourself with other men. You're looking for a sense of identity and belonging. And it's like they're very confusing years to navigate. And so I knew that from my own experience, I would have projected confidence. Mm. I don't need this. I'm fine. Dad, don't talk. Wait, not talk to me? This is weird. Yeah. My heart ached for it. And I think mm. I just remembered my heart aches for this and I'm not going to go for my son's surface behavior. I'm going to go for his heart. And I think there is a universal longing in the male heart to experience this. So I just like, pushed through and said, hey, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I want to share this with you because I I remember very clearly when I was your age and I try not to prescribe, I try to empathize. You know, I would never say something like, well, look, at your first girlfriend, you're 15, don't worry about it. But like, I'll be like, I try to experience it to the degree that he was experiencing. At this point in his life, this is the biggest emotional event of his life. I need to respond and enter in like it is. And I I think that just maybe was God's grace, or maybe because I'm a super introspective person, Mm. I was trying to get in touch with. I spent a lot of time actually. Like I don't know if this is a best practice. I didn't put it in the book, but it was like one of the reasons that I would always ask myself when I was 14, what was I experiencing? And I go back, who was I dating anybody? Who were my teachers? What was I feeling? What was I tempted by? Where was I confused? Where was I insecure? And I try and like emotionally reenter that. Yeah. Mm. And then when I talked to my son, I think it had a tone of like humility and concern rather than like you know, confidence and projection. And, you know, maybe that's one of the things that opened the doors was like really trying to remember that emotionally, not just intellectually, and then enter in emotionally at the state I felt like mm. my son was at.
2: Well, John, the earlier episode, we talked about the five kinds of fathers, mm. The irresponsible father, the ignorant father, the inconsistent father, the involved father. All the
1: eyes. And then, realize. yes,
2: the intentional father is where we ended. Mm. And, like, even you sharing that story of, like, you wanted to connect with your son's heart. You mm. want him to know you. You guys want a relationship. Mm. And that's that intentional father. And mm. you have really gone to lengths. I love that you not only talk about it, but you give us instructions of how you've done this with your Mm. son. And it started, how did you decide, like, okay, it's starting at 13. Why then?
3: If you study anthropology, you basically realize almost every society that's existed except ours, late modern society, Mm. has had a conscious, agreed-upon pathway of formation for young men. So there's a guy named James Hollis. who's a Jungian psychologist. He's done like a – he's basically a midlife specialist. He talks about the two adulthoods, and it's like it's been – popularized at a thousand levels the the halftime crisis falling upwards he's sort of like the psychological framework behind it and he said the first adulthood is prepared at around age 13 because that's when a, a boy is basically experiencing puberty and then he's like trying to deal with these conflicting new energies this is all societies had a six-step process to guide these energies into productive manhood Step number one was severing from the childhood environment, often by force, which means that kids were pulled out and had to realize you are entering into a liminal space. Childhood is over. It's like, like the naive kid has to die somehow. And so they were consciously removed, sometimes by force. Secondly, there was like a death of childhood that in some societies, like we do baptism, buried with yeah. Christ. They would do like a death of childhood ceremony, sometimes putting them in coffins. Then they would do uh, basically a a series of formational frameworks around three areas. Number one, the religion of the community. This is what it means to believe in our God as our people. Number two, the history of the people. This is what it means to be one of us. And then number three, here's the roles you have to be good at to contribute to the society that you were born into. That would go on for some time. Then they would enter into a, a thing called the ordeal, and the ordeal was where they were sent out on their own to figure out whether all of those things they've learned actually worked. Did they possess them? So uh, for the Australian Aboriginals, Michael Easter writes about this book in, the, in his book, The Comfort Crisis, Aboriginal young men were sent out into the outback for up to six months. Hmm. Everything in the outback is trying to kill you, the sun, the earth, and every creature you see.
2: Is like that like at 13?
3: Later in teenage years, yeah. not at 13, 13's initiation, but like towards the end of it, towards adulthood. Do you have what it takes is yeah. the question that was being asked of them. If they passed that, they would be welcomed back, blessed by and recognized by the community of men, and then they'd be integrated back into society to serve as a functional member of the tribe. And if they so, didn't pass it, they were dead. That's exactly <laughs> right. Now, so My- no, so now, this is an important point, which I, I mentioned. There was actually a lot of pushback. Originally, there's a thing in there where a mum does what's called a directional dinner. So in the course that this book is built off, it was called a severing dinner. Mm. And this, the amount of pushback I get is universal. This is, what are you talking about? Mothers are important. I'm like, obviously. The fact that they inflicted this wound shows their importance. Yeah. And so it basically says, you know, like the primary role of formation shifts from the mother to the father for a conscious period of time. Well, you
2: yeah. even said your wife cried.
3: Yes. I said, oh, this is awful. I remember it so clearly. Ran into the room, fell on the bed. I was, so, yes. So I asked my son when we're hiking across Spain. I don't think I started doing this with him to turn this into a thing. I did this with him because I loved my son. I was like, I got to figure this out. I got so much feedback over the course of time. People were like, Hey, you should turn this into a thing. So, when I was doing that, I said, hey, Nate, I want to check with you. Hey, this is going to be a lot about your life. My son gets the profits from this book, not me. It's how I'm paying for his school. So it's like he was open to it. <laughs> yeah, I bet he was um, open to it. So I said, hey, there's like quite a lot of controversy around the severing dinner. And he was stopped. We're walking across Spain. And he stops. and He goes, what are you talking about, Dad? I was like, the people feel like it was too barbaric. And he said, that was so helpful for me psychologically he's like it was so helpful for me i needed to know i was being pushed over into the community of men he's like i needed that like line in the sand he's like you cannot take that out this is my son you cannot take that out dad young men will need this they did research in nyu asking the question when did helicopter parenting begin and what was the consequences of it and the helicopter parent is like you know is the over-involved parent who. Just does everything for their kid. 1990 was the year it began, and within a decade, the rates of depression and anxiety increased by 80% in one Whoa. decade. And it's because kids no longer knew if they had what it took. It was like mum did everything for them. Now they talk about of parents who just, like, clear the way. It's not even hovering. It's like they literally get rid of all the obstacles for their kids. Mm. Call the college professor if, if they're mean to the child sort of a thing. Yeah it's like 80% increase in anxiety and depression. Like that is like a, such a sociological shift. And I think it's because young people need a chance to test themselves and grow and express. And I think there's something that happens. So there's not some sort of like Oedipus complex or whatever, where a young boy has to be severed from the influence of his mother and handed to his father. Now look, my wife and my son have an incredible relationship and they did the entire time. But she would say to him, your father has to help you with this. He can give you things I cannot give you. I have not been what you're going through. So I push you back to your father. And her goal was to like help cement that relationship connected to this. The whole idea was like the difference between a boy and a man is like a series of shifts that have to happen to see this change work. And she knew that like she had a heart of comfort. And so she would always like, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Rather than you got to suck it up, man life is hard. You're going to have to push through this. So she didn't want that to be a dominating influence. She wanted him to have to lean into the pain and the development. So yeah, she took him out for a dinner and said, I'm handing you over to your father for a period of conscious male formation, blessed him, wrote a letter to him, read it over him through tears, gave him some gifts, said, I trust you, but this is now a journey you've got to take with your father. I'll be here to support you, but like you and him are going to go into this journey of manhood.
1: And what do you say to the single mom or maybe even a blended family where it's a different dad, or? first talk
3: about single mom my mom was a single mom the best case scenario like I, I believe there is some sacred role that a biological father has to his children that is like it, it's there I mean, it comes living in the world and culture that we do the minority of homes now i think statistically actually come yeah. from like biological two-family homes well what does that mean well here's what it means you need to be intentional and not passive the beauty of being a Christian is that you have a church community that's around you. This whole book is written to be done in a cohort. I mean, we're talking about fatherhood directly, but the goal is like rely on the Christian community. If you're a mom in a half decent church, there's going to be dads with a passion for mentoring who will say, let me step in and let me help you. And a huge reason I'm committed to like trying to normalize this. I want to normalize this in every church in America. This is like, this is how we raise our kids. This is how we raise young men. So then she doesn't feel all the pressure on her own. The ideal scenario is is like a council of dads. It's a tribe of mentors. Mm. It's a community of men. And again, with the breakdown of the social fabric, social capital is basically gone in America, it's hiding behind our screens. Christians have a distinct advantage because you have this web of relationships you can rely on and draw into. So to me, the ideal scenario is, and I definitely relied on this, the ideal scenario is parent relationship, student ministry involvement and alignment church vision and participation and something on campus ministry connected to it And if you get those things lined up with mentors that come along that could supplement what you can't do that's the key so i would tell them "Um, this you know do what you can your son will be eternally grateful and then bring in people for those areas you feel like you know you need a specialist or whatever and build a web build a council of dads build a tribe and to me, that's the beauty of a local church, so I'd say I lean into that.
1: Which is exactly what my mom did. Mm. Yes, she did. And I didn't even know it. In some ways, she went to every coach I had behind yeah. my back yeah. and said, hey, you know, Dave doesn't have a father. Would you be that man yeah, in his life? And and like oh, that's amazing. That makes me That's a loving man. I had no idea. And yeah. she was intentional that way, intentional mother. And then she also was the mom that said, oh, you want a guitar? Yeah, go mow some yards and shovel some driveways and you'll get one. It was no hovering. There was no helicopter. It was like you got to become a man, and this is what men do. So, I mean, honestly, it was powerful. I'm thinking
2: of Bill at our church who's a dad that has all of his kids are grown, Mm. but he works with middle school boys, Mm. and Mm. then he stays with them, like these six boys, all the way through high school and graduation. Oh, I love that. And he is on these jobs because he works for a motor company, and yet he has these side jobs of, like, redoing homes and renovations, yeah. and he always has one of those boys with him teaching them That's to amazing. become men. Yeah,
1: yeah. Bill Butler. Shout out to Bill because uh, he parented his own kids, but he's a dad to so mm-hmm. many. And I think in some ways God calling us as men. I know me as a mentor now guys calling me to do that further
3: this is a a transformational principle for men men often struggle with comparison so they're always looking up and feeling inferior looking around and feeling competitive and i'm Mm. like look down Mm. and raise up because to those people below you you are the person that they want to be like and so when you deploy your energy down to raise up i think it's such a joy
0: The kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Interesting in mentoring a younger couple or being mentored yourself? Check out Power to Change's mentoring initiative designed to help you avoid those pitfalls we all can fall into. Email radio at powertochange.org.au or go to our website families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab to get started today. Until tomorrow, God's blessings.